Amen, Lord. Thank you for this time. I pray that our worship was pleasing to you. And as we open the word of God this morning, Lord, speak through me to build your church, to encourage one another, and that your gospel and your kingdom would, would move forward. To the end, that you be glorified, for all glory goes to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to continue our series as we talk about creation. We're going to get to day six here. Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis 1, 24 through 27. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind, and it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the earth on the ground after its kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him, male and female. He created them. We get to day six, and we're going to reach the, and just begin to touch on the pinnacle, or the apex of God's creation, which of course is, is humanity. Um, I wanted to begin, though, by showing you this. This is from... Laura Gegel, uh, February 2nd of last year, February 2nd of 2022. This is 10 things that make humans special, okay? This is what she put down, and it's been done in 2010 and 2014 and in 2022. This is what she came up with, her and her group of people. This is from LiveScience.org, okay? These are 10 things that make humans special. We speak, we have speech. Okay, an upright posture. I could be mistaken, but don't some apes or grills, aren't they kind of upright as well? Uh, nakedness, uh, we wear clothing, we have extraordinary brains, although my wife would say that wouldn't apply to me. Um, we have hands, we use fire, we blush. We have long childhoods, and uh, there is life after children. Of course, there are some uh, species that when they give birth, they die immediately, and so on. So those are 10 things, really according to the world, because I found this in other spots as well, that according to secular humanism, that make humans special. Now, when you see that list behind me, does anything there make you feel special about yourself? And I could be mistaken, aren't there other creatures that actually have hands too? Or am I wrong on that? The thumb? Is the thumb that makes a difference? Okay, yeah. That is the assessment of the world of humanity. That's what makes us special. Now, we've been going over, and keep that in the back of your mind, because what we just read says a different story. What we just read is you're a king. 
or a queen, and you're made in the image of God. But we'll touch on that a little bit later. We've been going over this over the last, it seems like a while now, these days of creation. Day one, God created the material to shape the universe into its final form, and light was created. He created time, space, and matter. Day two, God created the expanse of heaven between the waters above and the waters below. Again, think of the awesome power that was unleashed by God when he sat there and took the waters and just separated them like this and created the infinite heavens. Day three, God separates the dry land from the water, which he gathers into seas and creates the trees and the plants. Day four, God filling the vast expanse of heaven with lights, the sun, moon, and stars. And of course, day five, God created life in the form of kinds of fish to fill the seas and all forms of kinds of birds to fill the heavens. And we're going to begin to see a little bit of a shift here, but what I want you to see is this. At the first five days, we're God building what we'll call the castle in which you and I would live. And I say castle because as we just read in day six, what is man to do? He is to rule over all creation. And of course, the one who rules is called what? King. Man is the king of the earth. But God was not just building man a castle so he could rule as king of the earth. God was really building a stage for the entire universe to watch a play. When was the last time you went to a play? Anybody? You uncultured swine. Nobody in here has ever been to a play in the last years? My daughter, Rich, you went to, or Gary, you went to one? What'd you go, what play was that? Okay, what play did you go to? Okay. Yeah. Anyone see Nutcracker when they were growing up? Like, uh, not at a high school, yeah. Okay, so we're not that uncultured, okay? That's good. And I'm the most uncultured when I'm not a big into plays and stuff like that. That being said, I want you to think of everything that's been created as a stage for a play to, to be conducted. And it is a play about God's wonderful plan of redemption unfolding through time that ultimately brings God glory. And we'll get more on this later. What we see is what we read in, in Genesis 1, 24 through 27, is that God continues to fill the planet with life. He already filled the seas with various kinds of fish and the heavens with various kinds of birds. And now he fills the dry ground with land creatures or earth creatures. Let's look at day six, look at verses 24 and 25. Living creatures are identified in verses 24 and 25. The gods said that the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind, and God saw that it was good. 
Now this will be a little bit repetitive for you, but I'm only repeating things because God is repeating things over and over and over again. He divides these living creatures into three categories we see right here. Cattle, creeping things, and beasts of the earth. Now it's interesting when you study this, what refers to cattle. Because when we think of cattle, what do we think of? Cows, right? Really it refers to animals that can be tamed. And domesticated animals for man's use. So we'd actually think, obviously, cows, goats, sheep, horses, dogs, cats. You know, my wife would say you would never put a husband there because he can never be tamed or domesticated. He will always be a slob. Okay? Any animal, for example, that can be ridden and trained and thus used by man. That is what the Bible refers of when it says cattle. Okay, now we come to a category that I wish did not exist, creeping things. Now, we have creeping things right now at Bible Chapel, okay? We have creeping things at Bible Chapel right now that are making this section of the front lawn over here, where our sign is located, look like a war zone, I'm referring to what? Moles. Vile vermin are the moles. We'll get to that in a minute here. These unclean freaks of nature. These moles and their never-ending search for food in the dry hills they create. Now, you see, Pastor, you have some issues. And of course, you know me well enough to say, yeah, he definitely has issues. These moles vex me. Last Thursday, I wrote this down, as of Thursday, January 19th, 2023, in that little section out there, not this back section, there's a mountain, you know this, don't you? There's a mountain over there on that side of the garage and everything. It's like this tall of, of dirt from the bowls. But just in this little front section here, not over there by the fellowship ball, we put the mole mesh here so we don't get any, anything here. Do you know how many molehills I counted on that hill? You might want to take a guess. 40. You said what? 40? 30? 158. Roger, did you mow over them or something like that? Someone drive over them? Don did? Yeah. You want to go out there and check my math? I'm, I'm either a little low or a little high. Just in that 150, they were lining the sidewalk, the whole area. I couldn't believe it because I told the board, I made a board meeting Tuesday night, there's at least 30 holes, and Don said, that's probably a little short. I counted 158 molehills. So we are officially at war once again with the moles. I talked to the board, we're going to hire somebody to trap these vile vermin, these unclean animals. And you say, okay, well, what about this? What, they're unclean, okay? What's this? I, you know what? I forgot to put it up there. Write this verse down. Write this down. Leviticus eleven twenty nine. I meant to put it up there, and I made a mistake. I didn't. And I'm including moles as creeping things because God does. But look what God says here. In fact, get your Bibles out. We're all going to go there right now. This is that important. <laughs> this is what you're going to probably remember from the sermon anyways. So, Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, okay? Verse, chapter 11, verse 29. 
Okay? And, and to get everybody into this, uh, is everybody there? Everybody that can stand, stand. We're going to really get this one down, all right? Stand. And we're going to read it out loud together. All right? When they can stand, stand. Ready? On the count of three, you read your version. I don't care. I'm going to read mine. And we're just going to read this out loud, okay? One, two, three. And these are to you the unclean among the swarming things that swarm in the earth, the mole, the mouse, the great lizard, the gecko, which is a kind of lizard, the crocodile, the lizard, the sand reptile, and the chameleon. The key point there is the mole. You can sit down. What does it say about the mole? Unclean. unclean. We need to cleanse this unclean, vile vermin from our front lawn. We pay True Green to make it look clean. We spend all that money and we water it, and it looks like a war zone over there. I'm not going to get into how bad it looks over here, okay? Now, I also think of creeping things as roaches and spiders and stuff like that as well, okay, and, and lizards and snakes and so on. But biblically, it refers to anything that creeps or crawls on the ground. By chance, is there any freak of nature in here that likes creeping things? You do, Colette? I want to say God bless you, but I just can't, can't make myself say it, but okay. Doesn't bother you. Creeping things. Okay. Did I ever tell you when I was living in, in, in Texas, I woke up one day to a scratch over here, then I had a scratch over here, and then I felt this roach crawl across my face this way. That's how I woke up. A creeping thing. Yes. I have PTSD of creeping things. So, but actually it includes animals, and I don't mean all creeping things, it's animals that, uh, small animals with short legs. Okay, maybe like a hamster and so on. Um, who appear just to be scurrying across, and they would include uh, rodents, rabbits, amphibians, etc. Those are the creeping things. I think God does understand they're creepy, because he called them creeping things. So I'm not a fan of creeping things, and I'm definitely the arch enemy now of the unclean, vile vermin called the mole. And they are smart. I hate that they're smart. We used to kill them with the, we'd smoke them out. We would put, I don't want to tell you some of the stuff that we did there, but it would get in trouble. Poison them with different things that are available for you and so on to get rid of them. And it doesn't work anymore. It doesn't work anymore. Beasts of the earth. What are beasts of the earth? They're four-legged animals of size which are generally not tamed. Okay? That's the beasts of the earth. So think of lions and giraffes and elephants and rhinos and hippos and tigers. And my wife would say, her husband, I'm a beast of the earth. I'm not tameable. Okay? Animals that are not domesticated for any purposes of man. They are wild animals. Okay, And as always, God spoke these living creatures into existence simultaneously. So again, there's no progression, there's no evolution. And my other interesting note, it says, watch this, God says, let the earth bring forth. Why did he say that? As if they, the earth brought them forth. Well, two reasons. 
It's just another way of saying, let them appear on the earth. But secondly, the bodies of animals are composed of the same elements of the earth. And thus, when they die, where do they go? Back to the earth. Thus, we came from dust. When we die, we're made the same elements. We go back to the earth. And when he brought them forth, they're called living creatures. Let me remind you, plants have a form of life. Remember this? They're able to reproduce through seeds. However, God does not designate them as living. Okay, day five was the first thing, was the day of life and the blessing of reproduction from the birds and the fish and so on. Now, you remember the funny fruitarian video from Notting Hill last week? That fruits and vegetables have feelings? No, 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 they don't. Okay? There are such things as fruitarians, but the living creatures of the seas of, and of the air, um, now you have living creatures of the earth. And they all three are designated by God to have life. And what are the characteristics of these living creatures? Do you remember? They're mobile. They can move. Right? And they have consciousness. Now, by consciousness, I mean they are aware of their environment and can react to it through instinct. For example, a dog or a cat or a squirrel can get out of the way of a car. Okay? A dog or a cat or even some fish like shamu or dolphins can learn through training to obey a command through the reward of what? Food. But none of the living creatures we have discussed so far are self-conscious. Okay? Have you ever seen a hippo go up to a mirror and say, I look fat? (laughs) They don't do that. Okay? And self-conscious means that you know who you are, and you know you're reacting to your environment. These living creatures have been created as a sort of decor. Now, hear me on this. Everything has been created in these living creatures. The cattle, the creeping things, the beasts of the earth, all aquatic life, and the birds of the air or the heavens. They are simply decor as God displays his wonder to the king of the earth. You hear me? And who's the king of the earth? Raise your hand if that's you. Everybody, you understand that? You're a king or queen of the earth who is made in the image of God. See, both verses 24 and 25 repeat this phrase as well, after their kind. This simply means, again, limitation of variation. In other words, God created these creatures the way they are. Dogs are dogs, cats are cats. Have you ever seen a dog evolve into a cat? No. Horses are horses, dolphins are dolphins, ants are ants, birds are birds. One doesn't evolve into the other. Now this phrase is repeated, folks, ten times. Did you notice that? In Genesis chapter 1. As if God knew somebody would come along and try to tell a lie about one kind becoming another kind and no limitation on variation existing, i.e. evolution. That Never that way, has never been that way. From the very beginning, this is the way it has been. And it says, and it was so. I mean, it's permanent. 
This is assurance of permanence, that phrase, and it was so, with these living creatures. They will be with us as long as God wills. This means that we will never run out of milk products, folks. Milk and cheese, etc., or clothing, or meat. We will always have some pets for our enjoyment and companionship. Okay? Why? And it was so. And it has always been that way. And of course, God saw that it was good. Everything God made was good. You know what that means? And we can't understand this. I keep saying this, but it means that there was no deformities, no mutations, no imperfections or inferiorities. There was no natural selection because there was no death. There were no unfit animals. It was all good. No sin, no death. And at this point, we finally got to this point, at this point, the earth is now ready for man who was to be the king of the earth and exercise his dominion over it. And by the way, the Lord must have created all those animals in just the first part of day six because the rest of the day was for creating man, both male and female. Yes, that means, and just so you know, a little heads up here, do not read Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two as two separate accounts of creation. Genesis chapter two is simply going in greater detail of what happened in Genesis chapter one, okay? It'll get confusing. That means also, as we didn't read it, but you can read it in the text, that on day six, God created them both male and female. Means that at the last half of day six, all the animals were brought to Adam. He named them. And Eve was then, you fell asleep, and Eve was then created. All that happened on day six. Okay? Now let's take a look at that, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now we finally arrive, thank you, Lord, at the pinnacle of creation. This is the reason for all of God's creative work. Man, who is created in the image of God. Everything. Think about that. Space, time, Matter, water, darkness, light, stars, sun, moon, the earth, all the plant life, all the trees, all the animal life, all of that was created for man. And of course, what does man do with it? We will put animals above us and we will worship them. We will put the earth above us, and we will hug the trees. Okay? No, that's not how it is. That's not how it was created to be. It's all created for man. Notice the same pattern. Look at verse 26. Then God said, God speaks and he creates. This is what we call fiat creation. 
you know, the, the, you ever heard of the car, the Fiat, F-I-A-T? It's a Latin word that means let there be. And we've heard this phrase before, right? Let there be, in the creation account, let there be light. Let there be expanse in the heavens, and so on and so forth. We find it all through the creation narrative in verse 3, verse 6, verse 9, verse 11, verse 14, verse 20, and verse 24. Seven times we read the phrase, let there be. It is an impersonal form of the Hebrew verb, and you should probably write this down. That is an impersonal form of the Hebrew verb that implies that God is not intimately involved. Now watch this, in verse 26, we don't read, let there be. You see that? But what do we read? Let us make. And this is brand new language in the creation narrative, and it's a very important difference. Because at this point, folks, God's becoming personal. He doesn't use the impersonal fiat terminology but refers to himself, God, as a trinity through the word us. I tried to, the the analogy I thought to explain the significance of this would be this. You know I like movies. You ever ever see that movie American President back in 1995, 96, something like that? Michael Douglas plays the president, and Annette Bain plays the political operative. Anyways, he's a widowed president for about a year, and now he has his first date dinner since his wife died. He needs a date. And he, and he, as the President of the United States, has tremendous power and whatnot, but he meets Annette Benning, who plays this political operative for a climate change company, and um, he asks her out on a date to this state dinner where they were hosting the, the French government. Well, afterwards, as a way to thank her, he wants to send her flowers. He wants to do it himself personally. And there's this funny scene where he's trying to do it, but it's all his credit cards and stuff are all locked up, and he, he just can't do it. Usually his secretary does it, but he wants to do it himself, and he can't. So he ends up sending her a Christmas ham, because it was right around the Christmas season. It's delivered to her office, and she gets this. And right now, people are in their office realize she has gone out on this date with the president. And there's a letter attached to it. And she thinks that the letter is just a generic letter that you get when you send something from somebody. You send flowers, sometimes you just send them a generic letter, right? That would be one way of interpreting it. And the president causes Christmas hand to be delivered to her, and there's this impersonal letter for her. But she finds out that it was not an impersonal letter. He wrote the letter personally himself, and he went through many different copies before he got it down. So what she was reading when she got this Christmas hand that he sent her was a personal letter to her. Everything up to day five and a half, the beast of the earth, all that stuff, is impersonal. It's as if God sent a Christmas ham to them and gave them a generic letter. To us, we get a ham with a personal letter. God is becoming personal now. He's speaking within himself. We're different. We are unique. We are special. Every member of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is involved in the creation of man. 
Did you know that? We already knew that the Father had planned it and the Spirit was hovering over the waters of the deep. Remember that? We know from John 1 that who was the agency through which God the Father created everything? It was the Son of God. So they're all there. And God uses language that reveals that he is speaking within himself. Now, he is talking to who? Well, God the Father is speaking to the Son and the Spirit. Well, what are they talking about? Folks, he is letting us in on his plan of redemption. I'll explain to you how I get to that. Well, how do I know that? This is the rest of the sermon is going to be this. You can take notes if you want, but we're going to go through 18 verses really quick. Okay? And here's the first one. All right? Also, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. This verse tells us that God has a purpose. And this purpose is decided after what? The counsel of his will. The counsel meaning what? Who was there at this meeting? The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Okay? And nothing is done, you see that? He works all things after what? After this council meeting. <laughs> right? Look at this. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now this verse sheds some light on the divine purpose. Specifically, it tells us when this divine purpose was discussed. When was this discussed? Before the foundation of the world. So this council meeting was discussed before creation. This verse also tells us what was discussed. And what was discussed? Who would be chosen? See that? Now since the context of this verse refers to God the Father, we learn that God the Father is personally involved. Do you hear me? God the Father is personally involved in his selection of the elect. He is building a family. He is personally selecting or choosing. But there's more. And get used to this phrase, by the way. There's more. You're going to hear me say it a lot. Look at this. The very end of the Bible says this. The beast that you saw was and is not is about to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. And those who dwell on the earth, watch this, whose name has not been written in the book of life from when? The foundation of the world will wonder when they see the beast that he was and is not and will come. And they didn't put this up here, but Revelation 20, verses 12 and 15 say this. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is a book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. Verse 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now these verses tell us that during the counsel of his will, who God the Father chose before the foundation of the world had their names written then in this book of life. Folks, there's more. Look at this. 1 Peter 1, 18 to 20. It says, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ, for he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. 
This verse tells us even more what was discussed at this executive council meeting of the Trinity, namely that Jesus, God the Son, was to redeem humanity through the shedding of his blood. And this was planned when? Before the foundation of the world. So before Genesis 1, God's redemptive purpose was already planned. Let's follow this thought even further. Look at this verse, Titus 1, 1 and 2. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, where the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. This verse tells us that before time began, and when did time begin? Which day? Day one. This verse tells us that eternal life rests upon the faith and the knowledge of the truth of the elect that leads to godliness, and that faith and knowledge rests on a promised hope. Folks, those are all elements of the gospel. In other words, before day one, God had already planned the gospel. It also tells us that God made a promise of eternal life. So from what we've seen so far, God promised that he would choose some, he would grant them faith, he would give them the knowledge of the truth, that he would produce in them godliness, that he would grant them eternal life, and God promised all of that before day one. Who did he make a promise to? Well, he didn't make this promise to any human being. We had not been created until day six. He didn't make a promise to any angels. They too had not been created before day one. Besides, God certainly wouldn't make a promise of salvation to angels who don't experience salvation. Well, look at 2 Timothy 1, 8 and 9. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. This verse tells us that God saved us by his grace. See, folks, it's always been grace. And not because we have done anything. And that this grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time as he had purposed. So here we see that God had a purpose that involved Christ Jesus from before time began. So again, before time began, God made a promise that he was going to redeem some creatures that he would make. He was going to redeem them by means of Christ Jesus by grace, through faith, and a knowledge of the truth. And that promise was made to who? God the Son. But there's more. Look at this. Being found in appearance as a man, speaking of Jesus, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Romans 2 7. To those who by perseverance, speaking to us, in doing good works, seek for glory and honor and immortality. We can now imagine that God the Father was speaking to God the Son, and they were discussing, before time began, the necessity of an incarnation and a sacrifice for sin. 
in the bringing to glory the chosen by means of his incarnation sacrifice. This was all discussed when? Before beginning of time, before the foundation of the world. Then, if you will use your imagination, think of the Father turning to God the Holy Spirit. This says, and he, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin in righteousness and judgment. This verse tells us the role of the third member of the Trinity. Specifically, the chosen would be redeemed how? By his work convicting their hearts of sin and righteousness and judgment. Verse 13, but when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. The Holy Spirit will illuminate their minds to understand the truth. John 3, 5 through 6. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. The Holy Spirit will regenerate them, grant them the new birth. In John 6, 63, it's the Spirit who gives life. The Spirit transfers us from death to life. And back to Ephesians 1.14, the Holy Spirit of promise, and when was this promise made? Before the beginning of time, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes us one of God's own. This was all discussed before day one. Those who would experience all of that are those whom God chose before the foundation of the earth, before time began. But there's more. I think there was a deeper, well, there is a deeper motivation as to why the redemption of humanity was planned by the Father, purchased by the Son, and applied by the Holy Spirit. In this executive council meeting, the father said this, I can imagine. I'm going to create and redeem some people. And son, I'm going to give them to you as a bride, as a love gift. They will love and serve and praise and glorify you forever. Do you remember John 6? And the father what? gives me, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. Why are they coming to the Son? Because that's who the Father chose. Because he's building a family. And he's building a bride for his Son because he loves his Son. And when did he choose them? Before anything we've discussed so far in creation. How about this, John 17 Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, again, the Father is choosing him. He's personally involved in your life in choosing you and building this family and building this bride for his son. Be with me where I am so that they may see my glory. And we talked about that in Sunday school, what his glory is, which you have given me, for you love me. Now we'll notice this. When does he love him? before the foundation of the world. Jesus refers to believers then as those whom the Father has given him. And that begins to shape his plan. The Father then desires to show his love to the Son because God is love. He exists in love. 
It is a love that is so great that it longs to give. And God determines that the way to express that love is to create and redeem humans and then bring them to glory. And what does that bring to glory mean? Here's more. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly await for a Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, here's the glory, who will transform the body of our humble state into the conformity with the body of his glory. He was glorified, we get glorified. That means this, folks, the Father is going to make us reflections of Jesus Christ, radiances of his glory, and we will serve and praise and honor and glorify the Son forever. That is the Father's love gift to the Son. And when there's no more time, this is, this is so awesome, and, there, and we're, we're done with time, we're all in the presence of God, and the Son receives that glorified, redeemed humanity from the Father Look what 1 Corinthians 15 says. But each in his own order, talking about when you are taken up, Christ the first fruits, after that those who are Christ at his coming, and look what the Son does. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father. So when the Son receives the bride, he then turns right around and gives it back to the Father. And God is all in all. And watching all the drama of salvation unfold as if it were a play, and it is, folks, to an extent a play, on this stage that he created are all of the hosts of heaven. And to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery for which ages has been hidden in God who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. We find holy angels rejoicing as God through the church manif manifests his glory, and fallen angels seeing the glory of God in the salvation and perseverance of the saints. And in the end, a whole redeemed humanity, along with holy angels, will populate the new heaven and the new earth forever for no other purpose than to serve and praise and glorify God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So the Trinity has been planning this before there was any creation. And then on day six, God says this, let us make man in our image. That is another way of saying it's time to execute our plan of redemption. Do you understand that now? So there's a lot more going on when you understand the Bible of what is happening here. And God says it's at this exact time, catch this, because he says it at this exact time, because he is not going to redeem anything he created prior to the last half of day six. Did you know that? Everything else is impersonal to him, remember? 
the whole universe will be uncreated. Peter tells us everything is going to what? It's going to burn. It's going to burn. And the whole universe goes out of existence. Only one component in the physical universe lasts forever, and that is man. For man, and only man, in the end, mattered to God ultimately. This is why we support CareNet. <laughs> because it's, it's the life of a human. They are, we are unique. We are special. Everything, you look up and you can see the moon. It will be gone. <laughs> we value life. Because God values life. So everything else was only created apart from man as a stage for the drama of redemption to play out to a watching audience. Everything else was only created to provide a world for man which would cause man to praise and thank and glorify God and put God's wonderful power on display and God's wisdom on display and God's intelligence on display. Why does man remain? Because he is unique. He is special. Not because we play with fire, because we're naked and have clothes and have bigger brains. Only man is unique because only man is made in the image of God. Of God, and He is the King, He is the ruler. And so, praise God, you are a unique creation of God. And that is why we're pro life. Amen? Well, Jonathan, this worked out pretty well, didn't it? You know, I'm just going to close since it's so late. You bow your heads with me. Lord, we thank you for this, this wonderful story of redemption. I mean, it is just when you look at it this way and understand everything to the extent that we can understand, thank you for making us special and for making us eternal. And Lord, may we praise you and just bask in the glow of being your special, unique image bearers. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you, you special, unique people, and may those moles burn. In Jesus' name.